Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. On this edition, we have the pleasure of speaking with Lee Cruz, who is the Director of Community Outreach at the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven. Lee, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you so much. So thanks for joining us on today's podcast here for The Curious Capitalist. So I'm going to ask you a few questions and uh, get to know you a little bit better. So tell me a little bit about how you got to this point in your career. Well, it's really been uh, a very interesting journey. I uh, moved to New Haven, Connecticut, where I currently reside in 1983 to direct a drop-off prevention for his, uh, program for Hispanic youth that led to a connection with a couple who was living here at the time who uh, introduced me to international development work. I wound up moving to Leon, Nicaragua in Central America uh, for a year to help set up an organization called the New Haven Leon Sister City Project. I stayed for 12 years and wound up doing really interesting multidimensional international development work in health, education, community development economic development, sustainable farming, transportation, and that um, that wound up informing a lot of the work that I do now, having returned to the United States at the end of the last millennium, 1998. Uh, I've been working at a number of nonprofits and now work, as you mentioned, at the Community Foundation, where uh, I connect people, nonprofits, and businesses to create social and economic capital. Wow, that's quite a journey to uh, to this point and this part of New Haven, that's for sure. It has been. So tell me, Lee, what do you wish you'd known before you started out on that career path? I wish I spoke more languages than I speak. I only speak uh, English and Spanish. And um, I actually, in retrospect, uh, really appreciate the fact that my parents chose for me to learn Spanish. That has influenced actually my uh, being a parent, um, having my kids learn English, Spanish, Hebrew, and Mandarin. And um, kids can do that, they're amazing. I couldn't agree more. I think languages are so, so important, particularly in the, the time and age that we find ourselves in right now. Um, so if you could have dinner with any figure in history, who would it be and why? And what questions do you think you'd ask them? Oh my gosh, that is, what a question. Well, you didn't think it was going to be easy, did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, one of, one of my uh, personal heroes is, you know, straight out of nowhere having to do with my work or, or directly my life is Carl Sagan the astronomer. So I would love to talk to him about the universe in general. Um, I would love to speak also with John F. Kennedy. He strikes me as a very, very interesting figure with a very interesting life. And just to round things off, I would say probably a very interesting person to meet would be um, a black woman from the turn of the last century, Sojourner Truth. 
And Sojourner uh, was an interesting person because she was trying to figure out how to work with the women's movement at the turn of the last century as a black woman. That sounds like it would be a fascinating dinner party. I'd like to come to that one. <laughs> so tell me, Lee, what has been your greatest personal fear that you have had to face in your life? Thinking back to my dad and the way that he brought us up, I would say probably not living up to being responsible enough. Uh, growing up, five boys followed by a girl. Wow. Um, one of the things that you know got we were taught uh, very strongly, very clearly is to be responsible, to act responsibly. And this responsibility was not just for our behavior in terms of our siblings and being an example, but being a, an example in our society and in the work and in representing the, our household outside in the community. And then the other thing my dad was really big on is honor. So um, I would say not being honorable enough, not being responsible enough in the work that I do and in the way that I live my life. Absolutely. It's, it's like, look at my actions, not what I say sometimes. So it's a, it's a high bar you're setting yourself, but a very noble one. Thank you. So tell me, how did you first get involved in conscious capitalism here in Connecticut? Well, I first actually heard about it through uh, Larry Bingham, uh, the recent past president. And uh, he's actually the first one that introduced me to the name and to the concept. I then, at a later point, became friends with uh, Glenn McDermott, uh, who is now the executive director. And then over time came to realize that he uh, was not only a member, but then now has become the executive director. And then as time has gone on, I have just stumbled across in conversation uh, friends who are business owners. I am not a business owner. And, uh, and I come to find out that they're involved or that their work aligns with the principles. Uh, in some cases, it's been a discovery that they're a member. In others, it's actually introducing them because it seems very much uh, to be aligned with the, way, the, the the approach they have to their business and their business dealings. Absolutely. I think one of the things that we've discovered in doing this series of podcasts has been that a number of local businesses are already practicing many of the principles of conscious capitalism and they didn't really have a name for it and then they stumbled across or heard through business friends what conscious capitalism was and how it was active here in Connecticut and, and then decided to get involved so it's a uh, it's kind of nice how it's organically growing in that way yes it, it is so yeah. Thinking about culture and leadership and without sort of defaulting to generic core values, what language would you use to describe your organization and its culture? So when you ask about my organization, I, I sort of have to think about two, you know, two different hats. So there's the place where I work from where I derive my, my income, which is the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven. And the best way to describe that organization is we're the largest philanthropic entity in Greater New Haven with uh, assets of over $642 million. The core of that money has been donated to us by very generous individuals and families since our founding in 1928. And our business is to invest that money to then take the return on the investment and 
uh, on those investments and granted out to local area nonprofits in New Haven and 19 surrounding towns. That's brilliant. So you mentioned that's your one hat, your first hat, if you like. What about the second hat? So the second hat is um, one of the co-founders of the Chatham Square Neighborhood Association. We're currently a group of about 500 residents and or business owners, because some of the residents are in fact the business owners of some of the businesses in our community. And what we're doing is we're trying to build and sustain a community in one of New Haven's six poorest neighborhoods, Fairhaven, poorest in terms of economic demographics. Uh, not so poor in spirit of community. And um, and this work is a work that I do as a volunteer, and it has uh, evolved into a collaboration between those of us who live here and those of us who do business here. So how did you start doing this work, or what was the genesis of this work? What was kind of at its core, I guess? Well, I, I've always been interested in this relationship uh, um, going back to the work, the international development work of, of sustaining people, not, not just simply by providing charitable benefit, but by helping them to sustain themselves. And so I brought that sort of thinking back to the work here. And when I was hired at the community foundation to work with people in neighborhoods to try to stabilize neighborhoods like Fairhaven, through home ownership, what occurred to me was that the best way to, to really stabilize a neighborhood is not just by increasing home ownership, but by building and fortifying the relationship between the local businesses and the residents. The shape that that takes is we have a main street where there are a number of restaurants for several years now. We have been doing a thing called community dining out night. And what we'll do is we'll pick one of our local restaurants. We will obviously let the owner know. And on one of the traditionally slow nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday evening, we try to get as many residents as possible to go. There's no meeting, there's no agenda. We are there to eat <laughs> and to eat together. Sounds so, like my idea of a great meeting, Lee. Thinking about the culture in your organization, if you could snap your fingers and make one cultural change within your organization, what would it be and why? Ah, uh, um, the, hard, the hardest one is getting people to understand how the entire circle of community works. People come, myself included, come in and out of an understanding and sometimes get lost in the circle. We are doing everything we do to build and sustain community in our neighborhood in order to generate those activities and create that sense of community we need money the best way to make money is not to have somebody give it to you <laughs> although some people would disagree with that <laughs> uh, the, the best the best way to make to make money is to do it in such a way that there are all sorts of benefits from the generation of that income and that is in fact what is what makes it sustainable is that there's a bunch of winners. We're looking constantly for ways in which we can assist 
those people who have the means to, to be able to do what they do, whether it's creating art or creating food or selling houses or providing housing. We're looking for ways in which we can help them to be more successful uh, in that venture. I don't know if I would call it a change, but it's the constant reminder to not get stuck in one of those, like how do we generate more income or how do we generate more socially beneficial programs? It's, it's the circle and reminding ourselves to not lose sight of uh, the forest for any one individual tree. All of the trees make the forest. All of the things that we do build and sustain community, which is the main focus of the Neighborhood Association. When you're not focused on your work, what do you do to relax, Lee? So I like to walk around my neighborhood and just see my neighbors and talk to the business owners. That's I find that very uh, relaxing. I uh, do that by myself. I do it with my family. Biking is another form of uh, re relaxation. And um, since I have two kids, five and nine, they consume a lot of my time. And I love it when they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, because that's an opportunity to go out together and try to figure it out. <laughs> I bet they keep you on your toes, that's for sure. Yes, so <laughs> when you're not working, being a dad, do you watch television? Do you chill out with a bit of Netflix? Um, we have no broadcast or cable television in our house. We have uh, Netflix and the like, and then we selectively uh, watch Curiosity Stream, which is a wonderful science-based type Netflix, very focused on science and nature. Uh, my kids have very inquisitive minds, and uh, so staying up to date with them in terms of what the latest science is. Uh, I have one uh, son, Pablo, he wants to be an astrobiologist, and, and his brother, Mateo, who's five, he, he wants to be at mission control. Uh, for <laughs> for that, uh, so it'll be quite quite the pair. So, Lee, to, to finish up, then tell me, where do you go from here? What's next? What's your five, ten year plan? What is going to be next for Lee Cruz? Well, um, in terms of, in terms of the work in the neighborhood and the community, I'm really interested in a, a couple of different ideas that. Uh, I've heard ruminating in other parts of the country. I've had a couple of conversations with a gentleman who works in the Boston area. There's an organization called Ujima, U-J-I-M-A, I believe it's spelled, Ujima Boston. And it's I think it's a great idea. I'd like to implement it in our neighborhood. And this is basically community organizing meets community investing. So. Uh, as I understand it, Ujima has aggregated a number of people in these neighborhoods and had conversations about the relationship between the people that live in the neighborhood and the people who do business, the, the recurring theme. <laughs> and, um, and what they've been able to do is aggregate uh, investment from these families, relatively tiny investments in, in the hundreds of dollars or less than hundreds of dollars from individual people and families. They get those uh, matched in multiples by larger organizations from outside of the neighborhood. And then that money is lent 
to local businesses in the community. And what they're looking for in these businesses is not a great credit rating. They're looking for a business that the community identifies as one that they would like to keep in the neighborhood, a business that shows a plan, a business plan for how they, they would use that investment, basically that loan. And the, the money is lent out to these businesses. And I'll tell you, nothing motivates you to uh, use one of your local businesses uh, more than knowing that you're an investor in that neighborhood. And as that business goes, so goes your income from that investment. Absolutely. My, a real invested interest, literally. Yeah. It's my understanding that the, the less you invest, in other words, the lower income people who live in the neighborhood get the highest return and the larger investors who are from outside, who basically are using this as, as a way of you know, promoting social good, they get the lower return. And so I'm really interested in this model and in seeing if we might be able to implement it here in, in uh, Fairhaven. And then the second organization I've heard of uh, and actually went to one of their workshops is an organization out of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Incremental Development. Their website is incrementaldevelopment.org. Very simple. <laughs> and uh, what they're doing is training and helping local people who might normally be contracted by a developer that would be skilled craftsmen, uh, it would be architects, realtors, helping them to aggregate themselves and to understand exactly what a developer does, which is basically to build a team of people and to tell a story to an investor that gets the investor to put money into a project with which the property is secured and the architect is paid, realtor, builders, etc. As a result, uh, a building is developed. So imagine if the developer were the very people who have most investment in that neighborhood, the skilled craftsmen, the realtor, the architect from that neighborhood or from that city. This is what incremental development has been doing now for a number of years, teaching people around the country how to do this. So again, we are in the process after a workshop of identifying people in our neighborhood who we could support. Uh, this would fit in very nicely with the strategy of inclusive growth as we find Black, Latino, and, and women owners of businesses in New Haven's lower-income neighborhoods to begin to make investments in some of the housing stock and commercial stock that are too small and not in the right places, in quotes, for other developers. So those are two ideas that I, I know are working elsewhere, or they appear to be working, and I'd be interested in seeing how we can bring those things to, uh, to my neighborhood and to my city. And then taking that hat off and putting on my work hat, what I'm doing in my neighborhood serves not only to make my neighborhood better, but as a part of my work at the Community Foundation, uh, I administer a program called the Neighborhood Leadership Program. And we identify 12 to 20 people from around New Haven and surrounding towns, East Haven, West Haven, and Hamden. 
we identify them and support them in their leadership, in their community. So what I'm doing is uh, not only improving my neighborhood, but it helps inform what might be possible in other neighborhoods. That's also an evolving process. That's the future, at least for the next five years or so. It sounds like you have got a very busy five years ahead of you, that's for sure. And some great projects that, you know, hopefully you'll be able to, to pick up and transplant in our local community so lee it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you so much uh, for sharing a little bit about what you get up to uh, would you like to share the web addresses for the various organizations that you're uh, a part of at the moment sure so if people are interested in the work of the community foundation for greater new haven is c f g n h for community foundation greater New Haven, cfgnh.org. The Chatham Square Neighborhood Association, because there are so many Chatham Squares around the country, you gotta kind of get it right. So it's chathamsquare.ning.com, or you can search Chatham Square Neighborhood Association, New Haven, Connecticut. And that should bring us up as well on Google. That's fantastic. Lee, thank you once again. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, to find out more information about conscious capitalism here in Connecticut, you can also check out the website, which is connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org. Lee, until next time, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest installment of The Curious Capitalist. For more information, you can visit the website, connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org.